The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. We're good. All right, this is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, so we we mix it up a little bit tonight, guys. We recorded two episodes, so if you haven't yet already, check out our Townsend episode, uh, breaking down that game. But right now, we'll be breaking down the Thursday night matchup against the Virginia Tech Hokies, and to do that is our friend Giovanni. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. All right, yeah, if you guys aren't familiar, Giovanni covers Virginia Tech, and you can find his social media account at All Things VT. And if you're like us and enjoy getting to know your opponent before the game, definitely check out his account because he has a ton of videos that will help you understand what WVU is facing this Thursday, all kinds of highlights of Virginia Tech plays and just breaking it all down for you. So definitely check them out. And uh, let's just jump right into it. Virginia Tech's pass rush and run defense has been great this year, but the opponents haven't been um, the most impressive. Can VT's defense keep them in this ball game, and do they have the ability to slow down West Virginia's potent offense? As of now, based on the teams they've played against, is Old Dominion, Wofford, and Boston College. This is not enough sample size to really know. This game will be their first test facing a real balanced offense with playmakers on the outside. Uh, Old Dominion, uh, they really just – they're not at that level. Virginia Tech dominated defensively, and they ran the ball well on them. And BC, they have all offensive line struggles. Uh, so they, they're too one-dimensional. And uh, Wofford, they're, they're really just non-existent on offense. They hadn't scored a single point leading, coming into the game. Uh, Virginia, for West Virginia will provide the biggest test possible. to the best quarterback they'll face and just a, a solid run game and the best wideouts by far. By far, Virginia Tech will have faced. Uh, so far, the defense has held their own really well, favorable matchups, um, and they'll have to. They'll, they'll have to contain West Virginia because their offense just hasn't moved the ball efficiently. They haven't scored enough points. Um, they've, the most points they've scored this season is 27 points. So for them to win the game, uh, the defense is going to be the reason why. They, they haven't proven a show that they can rely on their offense. Yeah, I think without a doubt, uh, you know, the Hokies are probably the best defense West Virginia's played all year. Um, prior to this, I would say Pitt's the best defense we've played, and they do have a lot of talented players. But if you've seen what Pitt has done in the game since the backyard brawl, I mean, they have allowed a lot of points. And so, um, you know, I think up to this point, VT could be the best defense that we've played thus far. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, I, I think – VT definitely seems to be the most, the best from front to back um, with Pitt. You know, their pass rush was great. They had an incredibly great defensive line, but it seems like, you know, at least on paper, VT has, you know, some really physical defensive backs, um, a good linebacking core, as well as a really solid defensive line. Um, just looking at VT kind of through the numbers, um, the one thing that does stick out to me is that, you know, there might be some issues with Virginia Tech um, in tackling. Um, I noticed they missed. 14 tackles over the past three games, which comes out to about 13% of all tackles over the past three game games. Um, do you see this as a big area of concern? No, uh, the tackling is actually much improved, believe it or not. <laughs> From the last few years under Fuente, the tackling was dreadful. It was just, it was awful. One-on-one -on -one tackling wasn't there. The team was taking terrible angles. Secondary linebacker, the tackling was just some of the worst we've ever seen. Uh, and Brent Price changed that. Uh, the defense takes has much better technique. They're swarming to the ball. They're much more aggressive. So the tackling is actually much improved, but it will be tested. I saw Andy Bitter, who covers Virginia Tech for The Athletic, he wrote an article today, and uh, it was titled that Virginia Tech's tackling will finally be tested against West Virginia. So it was much easier to tackle teams are playing against. Um, but I actually wanted to I actually had a, a point I wanted to bring up. So regarding the West the Virginia Tech defense uh, versus the West Virginia offense, um, speaking of the pick games, 
Pitts played West Virginia and Tennessee. So, I mean, those two teams alone may be better than Virginia Tech. They're much better offensively than Virginia Tech. Um, and I was looking at that game uh, from a defensive standpoint. Um, so if that were to give Virginia Tech defense uh, optimism, West Virginia wasn't – they scored 31 points. They weren't as effective as I, as I thought. I see they went 23 for 40 for only 214 yards passing. And they're rushing – they went had 33 rushes for 190 yards. I expected them to have at least 250 yards rushing because they had some huge runs. So outside of the three or four large – just massive runs – uh, they were contained fairly well in that game. Um, I was surprised they only had 190. Um, and then as far as the uh, the defensive line, Pitt had three sacks, eight tackles for loss, and seven QB hurries. Virginia Tech's going to need that or more in this game. Oh, yeah. Their defensive line is going to have to win the game. Um, and then if you see the Kansas game, Kansas – somehow was able to contain their run too. I see 38 rushes for 146 yards. That's completely shocking. I never thought Kansas could hold West Virginia at 146 yards. It's really We low. didn't either. <laughs> yeah. Kansas is good though. But Kansas is good. I mean they they beat Houston too. Like they have a good team this year. Yeah, but, without a doubt. I thought West Virginia defense. ran the ball well against Pitt. Um, you know, they they were passing the ball well as well so they 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 kind of got away from the run a little bit but i was shocked by kansas i mean i know kansas is good this year and their offense can definitely control clock and put up points but i'm still not super impressed with kansas defense thus far this year and um the fact i mean we threw all over them but the fact that we couldn't run the ball in kansas i did think was a little concerning and you know we have had offensive line issues in the past so hopefully that doesn't um rear its ugly head again but vt is definitely going to be a huge test for our offensive line yeah and the the big issue that we had with kansas too was that our offense kind of got in its own way um because of how bad our defense was doing so you know looking at vt it it kind of helps out a little bit that you know at least on paper it looks like vt doesn't have any sort of dynamic offensive weapon like a a jalen daniels to take advantage of our defense and keep our our defense on its heels um, because kind of it seemed what it seemed like was Neil Brown against Kansas was trying to do is he was trying to, you know, take time off the clock. Um, he was trying to run the ball a lot in the third quarter because he was trying to his defense a break, which probably wasn't the right move, but that's what ultimately hurt WVU in the end. They should have won that game. I believe they would have used passes almost like runs just short, just quick passes Kansas could Kansas secondary couldn't stop them. So even if it was just a three or four yard pass, they were better off doing that than continuing to run the ball and then just run the clock down, keep your defense off. Because Kansas quarterback, he's great. Every oh, game, yeah. he's, he's unbelievable. You need to keep him off the field. But yeah. West Virginia, with the right game plan, just high percentage passes, there's no way Kansas would have stood a chance. The time of possession would have been too lopsided. Yeah, you're preaching sure. to the choir. We we talked about that a lot last week. Um, but speaking of our passing game, Virginia Tech's defensive backfield, um, you know, on defense, they've been good so far this season. But Kaden Prather, Bryce Ford Wheaton, um, you know, they may present a tough matchup for um, your secondary because both players are over six foot three. So how do you think Virginia Tech's secondary will handle that size and athleticism? Because West Virginia does have good wide receivers. That that'll probably be the matchup of the game. But West Virginia Tech's secondary is one of their strengths, uh, with with Connor, with Chapman, with Peoples. So this will be the best wide receiving core they faced. The best wide receiver they faced was Flowers from Boston College, and his quarterback didn't have a whole lot of time to throw, but he made a few plays, and he had a one one huge play on a double move. Uh, but he's only just one guy. Uh, Looking at Pry in the past uh, with Penn State, these corners aren't really that that tall in general. They're just very physical. So what I've seen from West Virginia games is a lot of times their receivers at uh, the line of scrimmage, they aren't touched, and they're just free runs, and they easily just beat the defense. So I, I think they'll be more physical in this game and try to jam them and just play, play tight, and it's going to come down to tackling. Um, well, I've seen a lot of runs uh, with West Virginia. If they're not the deep ball, it's really short routes that they break in a huge, huge plays. So it'll come down to it'll come down to tackling. But 
I see I see pride calling the defense, the, the corners to be physical against West Virginia and the defensive lines gonna have to help, you know, whether it's a blitz. If, if Daniels has too much time, it's it's gonna be over. This game will get out of hand. Um, so when oh, we sure. hit, they they brought um, you know, a lot of pressure, zero coverage. You know, they just left their yeah. corners on an island. And Daniels did have some success, especially throwing up the Bryce Ford Wheaton. Is that how VT gets their pressure in? Is it a lot of zero coverage? No, 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 not they use they they blitz a lot with corners actually, and they they might I don't know if they'll do that in this game because the receivers are just too too potent. But they prize his linebackers really well in, in blitzes. Uh, but against the opposition they faced, which is very low, especially considering Boston College's offensive line problems, the defensive line has had their way, so they really haven't needed to do a whole lot. Uh, the defensive line has been I very do that. I noticed that uh, Virginia Tech just going through like the different PFF grades they have for di- different defensive players on your team. Um, there are a lot of, it seems like really good edge rushers that even if they're not getting sacks are generating pressures. Oh, yeah. um, so it, it's kind of out who Virginia Tech's best and most impactful defensive player are is. So is there one guy or is there a few guys that WVU should worry about? This season is really just been as a unit. The defense has completely changed under Pry, and these aren't his players, and that's what makes me optimistic about uh, Pry as a head coach. They need to figure out the offense, but defensively, they're night and day from what we've seen recently. I don't think he recruited any of these guys. I don't think he did at all, really. Um, but their best uh, linebacker so far has been uh, Dax Hollyfield. He's a lot of experience. He's looked like a completely different player, stopping the run, in coverage, he's everywhere. So uh, he's changed a lot. And then uh, Pollard, a defensive tackle, he's been disruptive every single game. And uh, Garboot, also on the D-line, they line him up wherever you want. And he's just been really effective at uh, creating pressure. Um, and then it's just the secondary. The secondary has been dominant. Their technique's a lot better. They're blitzing. Has done really well, and their tackling has just improved. Um, so it's just the, as a unit, it's been shocking how quickly they've grasped the defense and just how it's worked. They've bought in. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see that matchup because I mean, that's Virginia Tech's best strength, and that's West Virginia's best strength is you know. So we're going to see that offense and defense go up against each other. But let's uh, flip to the other side of the ball. Virginia Tech's offense—they don't exactly light up the scoreboard. And that is, uh, you know, their offense is their weakness, but our defense is our weakness. So, um, you know, do you think they can put up points against our spotty West Virginia defense? They struggled against Boston College. You know, that that's for sure. So the best defense they faced is Boston College. And some people could will say that they took an early lead, which they did. They, they, were, they were up immediately off of the interception um, and the, Offensive coordinator might have changed his play calling because they were up 10 or up 17 pretty fast. Uh, But the rest of the way, they were shut down. They were shut down. The run game was shut down. Uh, Boston College punted 10 times. They couldn't do anything on offense. And yet Virginia Tech punted seven times. And they were just – they really just couldn't couldn't do anything against Boston College. They had one huge run by by King. I think it was a 64-yarder. And that was really it. I mean, Holston had about 20 carries and very few yards. They just weren't going anywhere. Um, West Virginia, defensively, their defensive line is, is, is very good. So I could, I could see them creating a lot of pressure. Uh, this offensive line isn't really a strength of the team. They, should, they needed to address it a lot more in the offseason, and they, they chose not to. Um, yeah, and, and if we're gonna have what any do you, defense, sorry, go ahead, Brandon. So, so uh, talking about the, you know, focusing a little bit on someone who might be a little bit familiar with the WVU fans is Grant Wells, who is a West Virginia native and transfer from Marshall. Um, while he was a little bit turnover happy at Marshall, um, you know, he did have a bad game to begin begin the season for Virginia Tech, but the past couple games seems like he's improved a little bit. So. Um, what do you think of Grant Wells at quarterback? Um, do you think you can t- he can have turn around, have a good season? And are you happy to have Wells on the team? 
So the fan base in general, with a new staff, there have they have Brown and Wells at quarterback, and that's a huge upgrade from when they had last season. Uh, last season they had Braxton Burmeister, who's now at San Diego State, and he really hasn't done a whole lot. Uh, they had Blumrick, who's now a tight end, who's in a very effective tight end, by the way, but he was not a quarterback, especially not at this level. And they had Knox Kadem last season, who was an FCS quarterback at best. Uh, he was a JMU commit. Um, so having Wells, who's ex- he's experienced, I have him down as he had 3,535 yards and 444 pass attempts at Marshall. So he's had good production. Uh, he fits, it seems like he fits the system that Bowen, the offensive coordinator, is trying to implement. But Bowen, I don't think Bowen knows what he has to work with yet, believe it or not. He's still trying out running backs, still trying out wide receivers, and it's just more so who, whoever makes a play is playing. He's just trying to see what he's inherited. Um, they didn't really bring enough help uh, wide receiver. Uh, they brought in Jaden Blue from Temple. He looked a lot better against Wofford. That's the only game he's really shown up. Um, they brought in a, a wide receiver, uh, Gosnell from North Carolina. He really hadn't played at all there but he's looked a lot better. He's consistently had a couple catches a game, two or three. Um, but as far as Grant Wells, it seems to fit what they want to do. So it's a good start. Uh, some fans aren't as enthusiastic about him. Maybe those see is not either, honestly, because against Old Dominion, they came out firing. They're running the ball really well, but Wells, they started throwing the ball excessively and he had too many turnovers and they just weren't able to, to convert. Um, they really just couldn't score against Old Dominion. They'd move the ball. Uh, they did have a lot of penalties, in ter- but they would move the ball and they just really just couldn't get touchdowns. Against Boston College, they did their absolute best to limit him from creating any turnovers, which says a lot. <laughs> and against Wofford, he threw for 300-plus yards, but they, they couldn't score any points. They, they only scored 27 points they, against Wofford. So the play calling the one- really changed. They're they're more running oriented, and I don't see them throwing 35 plus times again. I don't think they just trust them. They're just trying to have high percentage passes and run the ball, and let's get, have the defense keep us in it, and let's let's win. Yeah, the one thing that really stuck out to me about Grant Wells so far, looking at his numbers, is that you know he's really good off play action. He seems to love throwing intermediate passes in between 10 and 20 yards. Um, so off play action, he's at a 77% completion percentage for 241 yards, a touchdown and an interception, um, 26 attempts in the intermediate game. He's completing 87 and a half percent of his passes, uh, 14.7 yards per attempt with two touchdowns, no picks. It's only 16 attempts, but still, um, it seems like that area of the field is something that works for him. And, you know, talking about WVU's defense, our secondary is our weakness. So. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup turns out, especially if he can get our safeties, our young and experienced safeties um, to bite on play action and hit him over the top. But that's my issue with the offense is they won't they're, <laughs> they're wide receivers. Just there's no one who's really that explosive at all. Um, they're just possession receivers. Almost all of them. The best ones, Caleb Smith. And he's, he, he's good. He had, he had a big, a big play against Boston College, but it's really just nothing but possession receivers, just short seven-yard receptions, good route running, really good hands, much better hands than I thought. Um, but everything is short, just really short, quick, quick reads. There's absolutely no one who is like a real X factor, a real playmaker. So that can also be an issue uh, with Wells and the play calling. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this game might just come down to turnovers because Virginia Tech, they just want to take care of the ball. As you guys mentioned, Wells had four interceptions that first game, and he's really taken care of the ball the last two. Um, You don't exactly lay up the scoreboard doing that, but they have won their last two games in doing so. So I think it's going to come down to how West Virginia's defensive front can apply pressure um, to Wells and that offensive line because they've only allowed two sacks on Wells and 11 pressures for the year. And that that's, you know, pretty solid three games in. And so, um, and West Virginia's defense has not been real um, 
you know, turn, they haven't created a ton of turnovers thus far. So, I mean, I think if they can get into Wells' head and maybe force a couple bad throws and capitalize on them, I think that'll go a long way and um, possibly lead into a West Virginia victory. Well, the offensive line against Wofford, there were several several plays where he had five-plus seconds to throw because it's Wofford. Um, but yet they couldn't run the ball well. I mean, he had so much time to throw. He could have just ran. Everyone was open. But they still just couldn't. Like I said, they couldn't convert touchdowns. They could move the ball like they did against Old Dominion, but it's not turning into touchdowns. It's turning into, they, they have a good kicker. Yeah, unfortunately, we found that out too soon. Um, but as far as offensive line, they should be rated high because of the quick passes that, that uh, Bowen calls. You know, they, they, he doesn't need that much time. Uh, Wells, it's just really just quick, quick outs, really quick reads, under seven yards max. There's nothing that really requires a lot of protection. Uh, but the protection overall has been has been reasonably well against the competition they faced. Uh, it's just more so the the run game sometimes isn't hasn't been as effective as they expect, and it's just leading to nonstop punts. Yeah, and that's one thing that kind of struck me, and it it seems like the scheme is to get, like you said, get the ball out quick, and that's bolstering the pass protection stats, but. Um, the, the PFF stats are not favorable to the run blocking. Um, you know, it looks like every starting lineman except for one has a 57 grade or lower per PFF overall. Um, so well below average, but they're a really run heavy team. So do you, do you view that the O-line is the problem when it comes to the running game or is this a schematic issue? It's a new staff, a new play caller, and um, yeah, as I mentioned, he just doesn't have the most reliable wide receivers. There's just no one who's really that explosive, um, and that's the issue. So you can move the ball with that, but when you're trying to convert and get touchdowns, it's just a lot more difficult once you get inside the, the red zone, as what happened against Wofford of all teams. Um, as far as the offensive line, though, but yeah, we're right, considering they're a running team, um, I have down against BC, they ran the ball for 144 yards on 45 attempts. Jeez. That's, that's, it's no good. And no. one <laughs> run was for 64 yards, one run. So it didn't run very well. And against Wofford, 133 yards rushing out of 41 attempts. So that's 3.2 yards per rush. So they just need to open up the offense a little more. I think a lot of it is play calling, too. Uh, they they run the ball up the middle about three yards far too often. We just haven't seen the playbook open up or diversity in the run game. It's just too many runs up the middle. When they run on the edge, they have a lot more success. So when they have linemen pulling, every time they have the offensive line moving, um, other than forward, they run the ball a lot better, a hell of a lot better. Um, but coming into the season, for me, the – they needed to address the wide receiver more than they did, and they needed more offensive line help. Um, and we'll see it throughout the season. Offensive line, they don't have much depth, and it's not a great offensive line to begin with. Um, but they should have added more receivers uh, who had good experience and can just help immediately, stretch the field a little bit. Yeah, speaking it sounds of the like, runners, uh... um, Keyshawn King is your leading rusher, but he's injured. Um I tried looking it up. Will he miss the game on Thursday? And if so, can uh, your backups, Jalen Holston and Chance Black, can they carry the load for that offense? They cannot. No. We've uh, Holston has been almost like a workhorse, but not getting very far. He's just not very explosive. He's just not the guy. Uh, Black is a was a young player, and I'm glad Prize trying to play young players in like Fuente, and he's looked he's looked pretty good. Um, but they're just not explosive enough right now. They need King um, against Wofford. There were a few runs that King would have taken all the way. He's just a lot faster, more of a home run back. Um, they're missing Malachi Thomas, who can just just really just do it all. Um, he hasn't played all season. He won't play in this game either. Um, but they they desperately need King. Uh, they'll probably call up different plays if uh, if King if King plays. They'll be more interested in running outside, using him in the pass game. He just can do more. Um, Holston requires his blocking to, to be great. He doesn't do a whole lot on his own. 
Um, against BC, King was injured, though, so he only had four carries. So. But Colston, they didn't really do anything yards-wise. wasn't very effective. So overall, it sounds like it's kind of a – you know, kind of a mixed bag with on the defensive side and prize influence Virginia Tech is, you know, really kind of coming along, but the offense is kind of stagnating. So, you know, even though we're only three games into the season, how do you feel that VT fans feel so far about Brent Pry and his um, tenure so far? Uh, optimism is high. Um, Fuente just left on a, on a bitter note. He's literally the opposite of Fuente. Fuente, uh, Really just had no interest in being in Virginia to begin with, nor recruiting in Virginia. The talent wasn't as good, started to dissipate. And uh, the offenses were stagnant uh, recent years under Fuente. He's an offensive coach. Um, Fuente really had no interest in uh, embracing just the history of Virginia Tech and former players and just the alums, everyone who really matters. Um it just didn't work out. Uh, he wasn't invested in recruiting uh, locally. I'm pretty sure once season was over, he'd leave immediately. He had no interest. Uh, and Pry is opposite. Pry, I, I was happy about Pry being hired. He's one of my options. And that's because I, I follow uh, Penn State so much because he has experience in the area, especially recruiting. Um, he was a graduate assistant in Virginia, Virginia Tech uh, in the 90s. Um, so he saw the rise of Virginia Tech. Uh, but for me, it was just – he Penn State's defenses were great and James Franklin recruits really well in Virginia. So the connections were just already there with Pry. And for me personally, and a lot of fans in general share that sentiment, they wanted Virginia Tech to restore the defense and just have a defensive first approach because that's what's worked here. Um, and if you see the way the defense has played, again, without his players, without his recruits, He's completely just changed the defensive the defensive mindset. They're far more aggressive, more physical. They actually want to tackle, and just it's the mindset is just completely different. So once he brings in his guys, his defense is going to take off even further. Um, but yeah, he's he's a great fit for Virginia Tech for sure. You could tell he genuinely wants to be there. He's been there before. And it, it was the right job. It took the right job for him to leave Penn State. He was having tremendous success there. And you could see he's invested in recruiting. He and his, his whole staff, like he, he actually want, he wants this. He wants to win. Yeah, that, that actually sounds like a lot of parallels to West Virginia's situation. A lot of people criticized Dana Holgerson for not embracing WVU's culture, and he didn't recruit well in state, whereas Brown – did kind of bring back all those former players and he recruits well in West Virginia. But um, I saw the other day, Brent Pry took a shot at Fuentes, something about his kid was cleaning out a room and Fuentes didn't take all of his stuff with him. something along those lines. But uh, it's not too often you see your current coach taking just right out in the open shots at your former one. So do you guys like that? I mean, I'm sure you do. Cause I don't, like you were kind of alluding to, a lot of people didn't like Fuentes as he was walking out the door. So I'm sure you didn't mind it. Outside of the buyout, the fans wanted Fuente out years prior. I mean, his tenure was a disaster towards the end. They had some of the worst losses. I was at the Duke loss, I think it was 2018. They were just run completely over. I mean, the defense completely was just starting to fall off. Um, he had some success. He lost a lot of close games too, really close games uh, at the end, unfortunately. Um the Kentucky game comes to mind and two Notre Dame games come to mind. Uh, 2020, they had my, they lost money by a single point. They should have won that game, but, but no, no. Fuentes, no one wants anything to do with him or his offensive coordinator, uh, Brad Cornelson in this area. It was just a complete failure. Um, they alienated uh, Virginia recruiting. I mean, he was trying to do his best without recruiting locally. Um, I just think he's one of those head coaches who isn't fully invested in recruiting. He treats it like he, he just wants to recruit almost like quarterly or when it benefits him. And that's just not how recruiting works today. You know, it's just a year round process and he just wasn't interested. Um, and Brent Pry already has recruited. He's emphasizing Virginia. You know, he's not getting the top 10 guys yet, but he's recruiting a lot of his classes, local players, and that's how you win here. And that's how you'll always win here. 
consistently. Yeah, I mean, you always got to get the local kids. And uh, like I said, I mean, that's been a big thing that we've even said in our own state because Dana would let a lot of the big-time West Virginia recruit guys walk. And it seems like Brown's getting a majority of them. And so, obviously, people love that. But another cool storyline for this game is Doug Nestor's making his first trip back to Virginia Tech since he's transferred out of there to WVU. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's any bitterness on either side there, but it's just neat that he's going back there to play against his former team. Um, and you know, I'm sure that's going to put a a little pep in a step because everyone always wants to go back to their former team and put on a big performance. Yeah. That was a bigger storyline last season through Fuente because he left, he left his, his program, Mm -hmm. but I think there's just a clear division now between what Fuente did and what Pry is doing. I think it's just it's just a clean slate. They don't want anything to do with Fuente, and uh, everyone's glad he's gone. Um, but as far as Doug Nestor, I mean, he was a casualty of what Fuente likes to do. He doesn't like playing young players. So Nestor was looking for more playing time, and he went back home. And there were a lot of players uh, under Fuente that left. Look at Hendon Hooker. He left. Look at how, look how he's doing again in Tennessee. Um, and, They've lost so many players. Tavion Robinson, he went to Kentucky. He just had a good game. Um, he had recruited a lot of players from Texas and a Texas to VT movement, and that completely flopped. They left. But I don't think it'll be a storyline in this game. I don't think – it just has nothing to do with pride, so I don't, I don't think it'll, it'll matter. But he would have started. He was supposed to be a future starter. He just didn't want to necessarily wait his turn, per se. He wanted to play now. And he yeah. probably should have. No, I'm sure he's a player. In college football today, you you just can't assume the player is going to remain. You have to play him. So, and I he think was a big rotating him out though, but he was playing him, but just wasn't enough. Uh, but you know that that's well, it's Fuente's issue. He didn't like playing young guys, and if you made a mistake, he puts you in the doghouse, so to speak, and you, we don't see you again. So pride doesn't do that at all. So we'll be able to retain players a lot more efficiently. And I think that was a big factor in Nestor's original Virginia Tech is that um, whenever Nestor originally committed to VT was whenever Holgerson was at WVU. Um, and as we kind of mentioned, you know, Holgerson kind of really didn't put too much effort into embracing the state and the culture and, you know, the kids that come from the state. So, you know, once Dana left, it seemed like Neil kind of, you know, rebuilt some of those bridges that Dana burned. And, uh, you know, it just kind of seemed like a perfect time to, for Doug Nestor to come back. And, you know, it's interesting because our offensive line right now, three West Virginia natives starting for us, um, Nestor, Frazier, and um, so, you know, it's a good group. Um, It's getting better. Um, But, you know, it's always nice to have those little storylines and, you know, kind of the little nuggets of facts that come around with it. Um, So looking kind of big picture, um, how many games do you see Virginia Tech winning this year? Do you think they'll be bowl eligible? Unfortunately, they lost the Old Dominion, a game they completely dominated. Uh, lost the lead late with about a couple minutes to go in the game. Um, I still see them winning at least six games. I, I'd say about seven games uh, without the ODU win. I just think the way they they play defense, we'll, we'll see how good their defense truly is when they face North Carolina, when they face West Virginia. Uh, NC State, I'm sure, but against the weaker teams, at least, the Duke, Georgia Tech, Virginia, this defense is it's just too physical for them. They just, it, it's going to they're going to have a hard time moving the ball on this defense. It's just, the secondary is aggressive. The D line is just, it's a problem. So, um, but like I said, we don't know what the ceiling is until they start facing the better teams. They, they're going to face Miami. So, the North Carolina game will, will prove a lot to see if they could truly pressure the quarterback. They're going to have to in that game. Um, but there are a lot of, so to speak, weaker teams. Georgia Tech is awful. So there's there's some there's some easy wins there. Yeah, um, Georgia you can, Tech. You, in, with their schedule, you, you really can win playing defense this way. I mean, these guys, these guys, it's just the whole mentality is different. So that's the reason why I wanted Pry or a defensive-minded coach in general to take over. Uh, take over Fuente because in in the ACC, there's only a handful of teams that truly play defense, like NC State, Clemson. There's really not a whole lot. 
Uh, Pitt plays defense. Um, so you could win that way here, and, and they will. I'd say they win about seven. That seems like a pretty good number for a first-year head coach. So, I mean, I'm sure V Tech fans think that's, you know, all right. I'm sure they're not going to throw their hands up and be upset with seven wins this year. But um, you got a prediction for the game, score, and who wins? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'll be at the game. I, I'm hoping Virginia Tech wins, but based on what we've seen from the offense, until they can, until they can prove they can score more touchdowns and control time of possession, uh, as of now, I have to go with uh, West Virginia, just, just scoring too many for this offense, or scoring enough, I should say, uh, around 27-21, Uh for Virginia Tech to win, they'd have to force turnovers. They'd have to win field possession. Um, they'd have to convert on third downs. And, uh, you know, when the offense gets a short field, they they have to score a touchdown. When I played against Boston College on the second play of the game, I believe, there was an interception. Virginia Tech made a touchdown. And if they, if they get any turnovers, it just has to be seven points. They can't settle for field goals. And defensively, if West Virginia is moving the ball well, the defense just has to buckle down and force field goals. That's just the West Virginia is going to move the ball. They're going to have a lot of chances because Virginia Tech's offense just isn't there. But at the end of the day, the defense is going to have to force, maybe give up two touchdowns max and just force field goals and just get them off the field. Um, but if the offense is efficient, they, they can win the game. They, their offense, their goal needs to be time possession. It just really does. None of the tempo that they like to run, snapping the ball, a lot of time left. Just just wind the clock down and just make high percentage play calls and just, just kill the game that way and just hope your defense can, can hold it. Yeah, I think a lot of Mountaineer fans are thinking this game's a win. And, um, and that's because, you know, Virginia Tech's offense hasn't played well. But I'll, I'll admit, not until I started digging and, and really looking up how they've performed, this defense is pretty scary to go up against. And we're on the road um, in a tough environment. I think it will be close, but I'll go 27-20. West Virginia pulls away. But without a doubt, the, the thing that's going to decide this game is turnovers. And West Virginia has lost these type of close rivalry games purely based on turnovers these last couple of years. You look at Maryland last year, Pitt this year, and um, you know if they don't take care of the ball, V-Tech could definitely walk away with a victory here. But uh, I'll pick my Mountaineers to just barely squeak by 27-20. Brandon, what do you got for this game? Yeah, I'm thinking right around the same range. You know, I think originally I was thinking maybe like a 27-17 game, but maybe like a 27-23 if it's a field goal heavy game for, for Virginia Tech. Um, the one thing that West Virginia really needs to protect itself from is just boneheaded plays that kind of make you scratch your head. Like I'm thinking the, the Bryce for Wheaton drop against Pitt, the Reese Smith muff punt. I mean, those were backbreakers at crucial times of the game. Um, we really need to buckle down on our discipline. Um, no penalties in the red zone. So there's a lot of issues with WVU just kind of breaking down at the wrong time. And I, I worry against a high pressure defense like Virginia tech, um, our offensive line or our receivers could buckle at the wrong time um, and really hurt us. So I'm hoping that WVU can at least take a, a nice little lead going into the, the fourth quarter and let Virginia Tech maybe chip away at it and win that way. But if it gets close, I worry that we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot and find a way to lose. See, because my issue with Virginia Tech, so against Boston College, they completely dominated the game. They were up 17-0, to and it felt like it was at least 30-0. And next thing you know, the game is 17 to, to 10. 17 to 10. It was, it was, the offense just couldn't do, it couldn't do anything. They tried to sit on the lead and win 17 to 10, and they let them back in the game. Uh, when, when Boston College made it 17 to 10, then Virginia Tech had a, actually sustained a drive. So they had a long drive, and they made a touchdown, make it 24-10, and that was the game. Uh, but if they have that kind of game plan against West Virginia, it's just they have no shot. Like that 17 will turn into a deficit pretty soon you can't punt that many times you can't play conservative so you know that yeah. unless they're getting first downs and just winding down the clock you know it's just the only way so that that's my issue is you know if they have a lot of success early and take the lead 
it can't be you know it can't be 13-0 or or 10 to 3 uh their offense is just too explosive you know, they need to turn that into 20 to 7 you know they need to score TDs so you know yeah. until i see it i i'll believe it you know when i see it so we'll see the stakes a- are so high in this game too for neil brown and the mountaineers not only is it a big rivalry game but i mean if you start this year 1 and 3 if, if he thought it was bad after that Kansas game, everyone's going to be writing articles, typing stuff on social media and just be coming for Neil Brown's job because not only is one and three, just a bad start, but after this Virginia tech game it is just an absolute gauntlet of tough, tough games. I mean, you got Texas on the road after that. Then you got Baylor at home. Who's no cupcake. And just so many games that they're going to be tough to win um virginia tech's offense is down this year he absolutely has to walk away with this victory and that might not seem fair because virginia tech's one of the toughest places to go to on a thursday night and play but the way i see it is neil brown has backed himself into this corner so it's up for him to claw his way out because this is an it, really, it really depends which west virginia team shows up because the one that played against pittsburgh wasn't the same team that played against kansas yeah, at least not at least not defensively. The mistakes they made against Kansas, I mean, at times the defensive line, linebackers, there was too many breakdowns. There's no one near the ball. So, you know, if they did it against Pitt, they'll win plenty of games in the Big Ten in the Big Twelve. It's just it's, it's not even close. Their their offense is too good. Their D line is good enough. But against Kansas, I think they underestimated Kansas. And then uh, when the game got close, they made the the muff punt led to another touchdown, and. uh they just didn't manage the game well, like you said. You know, they 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 try to run the run the game, uh, run the ball excessively, and it wasn't working. And they just wouldn't get out of that. And just if they just passed, they could have passed every down and controlled the game, every single down. Hundred percent. And it was just a just a huge. It was a play calling issue, and they had some penalties, but yeah, the turnovers hurt them. Um, they just didn't manage that game well. Uh, the pit game. Pitt is really good. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw him play against Tennessee. It was a great game. Uh, in the Pitt game, as you guys mentioned, let's your guys' podcast. Uh, the fourth, the fourth and one was about six minutes to go. He, the way they were running the ball, he should have just went for it. He decided to punt. They tied it up. You know, the way they were running the ball, it wasn't even a yard. It was less than a yard. They would have easily gotten that and just just ended the game. Um, but. You know the way they've looked. If they play like they're doing the pit game, they'll win plenty of games in the in the big, the Big Twelve. They're they have a lot. Of, they have the talents there, and if the defense just just tightens up, especially in the run game, uh, uh, they're they're right there. I mean, Kansas State lost to Tulane. Yeah, I saw Kansas State play their quarterback. He's played at Nebraska. They don't trust him throwing the ball. They can't throw the ball. He runs. Vaughn runs. They're really not that good. I've seen them play. They're very, very average offensively. Um, and Texas Tech just played NC State, who is very good. And NC State had no problem beating them. I mean, there's several teams other than Oklahoma. Texas lost their quarterback. They were struggling against UTSA last week. This is a good yep. time for West Virginia to play them. You know, the first yeah, half. That's one thing with that's one thing with Neil Brown is that he kind of coach up and coach down to the different opponents that we have. I mean, um, you know, hopefully Kansas is a wake up call that he can't do that because, you know, I look at last year against Oklahoma where Oklahoma was really good and we lost 14 to seven. Um, but I never expected them to keep it that close. And then what was it a week or a week or two weeks later, we go in against uh, at home against Texas tech and we go down 17, nothing to half and end up, you know, still losing, even though our offense finally woke up in the second half, but it's just kind of a trend with with Neil Brown of how he kind of approaches games. I don't know if it's necessarily his approach, but the people that he puts on his staff and puts in charge of preparation. And, um, you know, it's just that I think that's why there's so much pressure on Neil Brown and, you know, his his crew for this game is to prove that, you know, if there's a team that you have an advantage over, leverage it and actually go out there and win the game like you should. So it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that Oklahoma game. Yeah, I think it was like sixteen thirteen because I remember on that when we were driving, we could have won it, and then of course, you know, bad turnover, and then that led to us losing, which seems to be a theme lately. Um, 
But anyways, yeah, this is going to be a big game. But kind of just to wrap all of this up, uh, what's everyone's favorite WVU versus VTech game or just memory in general? Because there's been a lot of memorable ones on both sides, honestly. So for me, I mean, I was pretty young, but it was the the 99 game. I believe uh, West Virginia had about four or five wins. They weren't really having a good year. Yep, I was at that game. And Virginia Tech, I think they were about 8-0. Um, and that they were ranked third. Florida State was ranked first. Penn State was ranked second. And I believe that day, that very day, Penn State lost. So I started getting the news that Penn State lost. So if Virginia Tech won that game, they would move up to number two. And um, that's just it's just one of those games where you throw the records out and it's just it's just this rivalry. West Virginia played like they were undefeated. Uh, it was a great game. I remember West Virginia scoring late with about maybe a minute and 30 seconds left or two minutes left, and they went for two, and they didn't get it, and they were up 2019. And then uh, Vic just – they drove down the field, and uh, Graham hit a, about a 44-yard field goal, and it was a hell of a game. So that was – I was you know, very young, but I started watching it, um, paying attention, especially in the second half, because we didn't think it was going to be close, so we didn't really care. But we started to see how, how close the game was, started paying attention in the second half. But that was a – that was a – man, that was a great game. Yeah, I was like 11 years old. That was my first or second Mountaineer game I ever went to. Were you there with us, Brandon? I don't remember if I was at that one or not. Maybe yeah. not. I remember it being a heartbreaker. Yeah. Uh, what's well, your favorite game? Oh, mine? Uh, my yeah. favorite was um, – I forget which year it was, but it was the one that you posted the clip of today with the Brian King interception in uh, yeah, the end zone. 2002. Um, yeah. Yeah. My dad actually took us down to Blacksburg for that game. I skipped school. Um, we went down there. We didn't have tickets. We ended up meeting up on the street with an alumni from Virginia Tech. They were selling their tickets. We ended up getting seats like two rows behind uh, the West Virginia bench in the Virginia Tech alumni section. And that was my first time and only time in Lane Stadium. And it was just fun. Um, I mean, the environment watching WVU pull up with the, pull out the win. Um, it was just a great experience, especially with the way they won that goal line stand. I know that was kind of emblematic of the, the kneeling era of defense and ball control and um, all of that. So that one is definitely top on my list. Yeah, that, that's probably mine as well. And a close honorable mention would be the following year in 2003, where what was Virginia Tech, like number three, and they came into Morgantown and, and more West Virginia won, I think it was 24-7 or 31-7. And uh, that memorable play to Terrence Garvin for like 93 yards from Rashid Marshall. Definitely those two games are the ones that always stick out to me for sure. The, two, the 2017 game was good too. I mean, there wasn't much defense at all. You know, that, was, that was Virginia Tech just defense being optional. Um, but that game, I went to that game. It was at the the Redskins or the Commanders. Yeah, Landover. FedEx Field. I was at that game at Landover. Um, it was just back and forth. I think it was like 10-10, 17-17, 24-24. It was just back and forth. It was a great game. 31-24, I think, was the final. But mm-hmm. it was tied so many times. It was like a basketball game. Uh, and, of course, you know, both teams just they didn't play any defense at all. But it was an exciting game. Um, yeah, and- that was a memorable one for Mountaineer fans because I believe that was Will Greer's first game as yeah, a Mountaineer, Will Greer. and he yep. tore up. So that that made us all excited, even though we lost. Of course, that stunk. But of course, I mean, we were excited for the potential of Will Greer, and he, you know, of course, had a pretty good career here. Yeah, he was great. I, I followed the the season where they were ranked. I think it was like top five, top ten for sure. Mm-hmm. He was just unstoppable. Yeah. Was- all right, guys. Well, I mean, that's all I got. You guys got anything else to add in at the end here? You know, I don't have anything. I think I think West Virginia is they're still trying to find their identity. Sometimes they their wide receivers are, are very dominant and they're deep and they pass the ball sometimes excessively. Other times their their run game, they have a lot of success running the ball, probably because defenses are more concerned with their wideouts. 
that they have too much success running the ball and they start running the ball too much and they stop pass. They just don't have a good balance, you know, and if they find the right balance uh, in a game to game situation, it all depends on how the game is going. They could win you know, eight games easily. Uh, it's just, they just have to be able to that the way that game is going, the way defenses are playing them, they just need to realize like what's, what's working. Let's stick with it. You know, you can't have like a predetermined, this is what we're going to do. Uh, if they make the I right adjustments, the games, they'll be fine. Um, and it, sometimes, you know, I guess it hurts to have too many weapons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep I it mean, simple. <laughs> all the pieces are there. Hopefully it comes together because, you know, although a lot of people are calling for Neil Brown's head, I don't think anyone who roots for WVU wants to see that because that means you got to start all over. That means you're going to lose a lot of recruits. So, I mean, if he can just turn the season around, win seven or eight games, that would honestly be the best case scenario for every fan and everyone in the program. The reality is they have the talent to do it. Oh, so yeah. If he doesn't, they're going to lose some players next season. So, yeah, it, it's just you, they have a really good team. Dude. Like, it's hard to have a, a college team with loaded running backs, a really good quarterback, one of the top quarterbacks, and – a multiple wide receiver. I mean, this is college. Like, it's just, it's hard to find that balance. So, you know, they just, they're just not sure how many runs. It's almost like they're trying to make sure the running backs get X amount of carries, and it's just not how you play. You know, you yeah. working. I think they should be a pass-first team, and that should open up the run, and they'll win a ton of games. But sometimes yeah. they don't see it that way. They, they want to just – Established to run. Like there's some Big Ten team. They're trying to run the ball sometimes, but they have Dodge and as a quarterback. It's like you got Daniels. Like use oh, Deggy. Use yeah. or oh Deggy. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they just start running the ball like he's back, and it's like you you got Daniels back there. Let's take advantage of that. Yeah, he's your best player. Give him give him the keys to the car and just let him win you a game. I'm with you. All right, guys. Well, hey, let's wrap this up. Thank you for everyone listening. Giovanni, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Gave us a lot of good insight to the Virginia Tech team. And uh, I'm pumped for the game. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Catch you next time.